0: I release kids through grade four as they go off to the classes that are prepared for them. And uh, we get to take a look at what it means to live by faith. And uh, I I love doing this, launching the year with communion. Some of you were able to be here New Year's Eve and we finished the year with communion and now launch the year with communion, just a reminder of the absolute truth that apart from the blood of Jesus, we have no hope but, because of Jesus, we have great hope and so this year we 're taking a look at what does it mean to live by faith and uh, the graphic that we have here is uh is you know a man walking into that which he can 't see and um as I finished the message last night, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I really don't feel like I have any vision for the new year at all. I said, Why is that? And she said, I don't have 2020 vision. <sighs> oh, is that bad or what? Yeah. And she made me promise that I'd share it. It wasn't Karen. Okay, so, but this idea of this uncertainty as we look forward. And it's interesting, I read a a fascinating article that looked back over the last 300 years and the significant things that happened in the twenties of each of those decades, and uh, with some with some predictions of what the twenties hold for us here, and um, so it's this it's this excitement, isn't it? This twenty twenty and living by faith, and what does it mean to walk where you can't be sure what's happening? And uh, I have an advantage where I live; I get a chance during time of year, this time of year specifically, to really see faith in action, okay? I live over um, past the inlet around the curve over there on the way to Lake Lawn, and so um, this time of year, I really get to see people who live by faith. Uh, you know, on December 23rd, I was coming from Delavan to church, and I I drove by the golf course, and there were people golfing, you know, which is one kind of faith, right? Um, you know, staying 500 yards away from a hole, and expecting. Ball to go in there. It's, that's a kind of faith, and and but then I made the curve, and came through the inlet and saw people ice fishing. Okay, on the same day, right? And I'm looking at my my temperature, uh, the thermometer in the car. You know, the temperature outside, and it's like 42 or something, right? This morning we came. I don't know did anybody else come by the inlet this morning? Okay, I, I come by the inlet and it's like all water, right? And there's like like. Ice is out maybe twenty feet, or something like that there 's two guys ice fishing out there. These are men of faith, right They should be in church. They're, you know I mean we need people with that kind of faith right and And I think when we think of what it means to walk by faith, it means taking a step on something that that maybe we can 't see and and you know the the song that we sang sang talked about walking by faith and not by sight and and I think one of the other places where I, I get a really good visual of this is, and maybe you've seen it, is the the uh, Indiana Jones where he's going for the chalice. Anybody know that one? I, I forget what the name of that one is. You know, I mean, every, every movie is better with Sean Connery. But... Um, as you look at that, and, and he's got to walk across this great chasm to get over to where the, the chalices are so he can choose which one of the chalices would have been the one that Jesus would have had. So it's, it's a real movie, and um, it's not fiction at all. And, and so, but anyway, he's standing at this cliff, and, 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 and he's got this thing that says, you just need to take a step. If you take a step, a bridge is going to appear, and so he's, you know, all this way up in the air and he just puts his foot out like this and I'm not doing it and and puts it down and a bridge appears that he's able to walk across. It's that step of faith. And sometimes a step of faith can feel like a, a leap of faith, can't it? And sometimes as we as we consider the fact that we really can't see what's ahead, how can we have confidence to know that we can move ahead. And the author of Hebrews does a wonderful job of helping us understand that. And on the back of your cards are the verses for this year. And and it comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. It says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, I don't know about you, but as I've been looking at these verses, they make me a little uncomfortable, okay? Because it's like, I like the righteous shall live by faith. That one, yeah, I'm good with that phrase. And the little while, the coming one will come. But there's a couple of things in here that make me a little uncomfortable. And so I'm excited about this because I want to unpack that for us over the next week or two to be able to take a look at what does it mean for us to live by faith. And the author of Hebrews does a wonderful job of this. Of course, we know that he's, he's the one who gives the definition or the description of faith in Scripture. In chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, which, of course, makes it all clear as a bell, right? And, um, but, it, but it's the closest thing we have to a definition or a description of faith really in all of Scripture. And before that, he really explains what does it mean for the righteous person to live by faith. So let's take a look at this together. And as we do this, we're going to see that we can live by faith because of the confidence we have in Jesus. So the passage we're looking at is from, from verse 19 to verse 39 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. And if you have that, you'll see that in the in verse 19, it says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. And then in verse 35, it says, don't throw your confidence. So we've got this passage we're looking at where, where the author says, you've got confidence, don't throw it away. All right. And in the middle is some description that helps us. So what we see first is that as believers by faith, we can live differently. So the author starts here in in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So he starts out this passage with, therefore. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, there it is, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So we don't know exactly who this was written to. When We don't know exactly who wrote it. You know, a lot of the letters of Scripture, they, they, they give us an indication of who it is. Actually, this isn't written like a normal letter in the New Testament. It doesn't have who it is, who it's being addressed to, and the normal structure of a letter. So there's some who say it's not really a letter, but but it seems to have a lot of the characteristics of the letter. But it also has a lot of characteristics of a, of, of a sermon. And he actually says at the end of his letter, he says, I appeal to you, chapter 13, verse 32, Brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So he's saying I've given you this brief exhortation or this brief encouragement or this brief challenge of how to live your lives. So while we don't know the author, and we we don't really know the exact audience, we can be pretty sure that this audience that this was written to was a group of Jewish people who were followers of Jesus, Jewish people who were followers of the way. And the reason we know that is because so much of what's in Hebrews expects the readers to have an intimate knowledge of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that talk about that talk about Moses receiving the law and the exodus and, and the priest and Melchizedek. And, and there's so many <coughs> different aspects of the Torah that are in here that aren't explained, that are just expected that this group of people would understand that. And so as we look at that, we see that he goes through and explains to these believers that, that first and foremost, we're moving from the lesser to the greater. Okay, he uses a... a a type of writing which takes us the lesser and presents the greater so that people can understand what that means and so he starts out by saying that 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 Jesus is a superior revelation to the revelation that was before the revelation before came through the prophets but now God has spoken through his son so there's a superior revelation and then he talks about him being superior to the angels that he's superior to the angels because angels are ministering spirits, and 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 they have a message. Uh, Jewish tradition at this time would say that the that the law came through angels, not that not that angels gave the law, but that angels were involved in the transmitting of the law to the people, the first covenant. And so, so he's saying he's superior to the angels and to the law that they brought. His, his, his law is better. And then it says that he's superior to Moses, which would be like for the Jewish people. Whoa, how can somebody be superior to Moses? Because Moses is like, ooh. And, and so he goes on to say, listen, Moses built the tabernacle. Moses was given the design of the tabernacle from the tabernacle that was in heaven. And so he built that tabernacle on earth. But Jesus built the universe. So he's a little bit bigger, a little bit more superior, okay? So to Moses was a good builder, but, but Jesus is a superior builder. And he talks about how he's superior in priesthood, that the priests that were there for the old covenant, the priests that would need to give the sacrifices, but they themselves weren't clean, And so they needed to be cleansed before they could offer a sacrifice so that the people they were offering the sacrifice could be cleansed. And along comes Jesus, who doesn't need to be cleansed because he's perfect. So he's superior to the priests. So he's superior in Revelation. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Melchizedek. And he's got a superior sacrifice. The sacrifices that were offered by the priests were offered over and over and over because they were not sufficient. But the offering of Jesus as himself as a sacrifice, Hebrews tells us, was able to save to the uttermost. He sacrificed once for all. It was a once for all finished sacrifice of Jesus. So his sacrifice is superior. The covenant that he gives is superior. All right, the covenant that that he held, and we just celebrated it here, he held up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, and so the new covenant is superior. So he therefore rehearses the whole first 10 chapters of Hebrews, which we just did, and how Jesus is superior to every other thing that they've trusted in. So because of that, brothers and sisters, we have confidence. And we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, (laughs) because he's opened for us through the curtain, through his flesh. And we have a great priest over the house of God. So there's this idea that in the temple, only the priests could go into the most holy place, and into the most holy place could only go once a year. But we have confidence to enter that holy place ourselves, because of the blood of Jesus, we can go into the most holy place of God. So he's saying, "Then you have that, and since you have that, you can you can draw near." to Christ. In in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, we have this great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, so let us hold fast to our confession, to the truth we profess. So for these believers, these ones who are followers of Jesus, he said, "You, you can hold fast to your confession because we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Not only is he pure, not only is he a superior priest, he's also one who can relate to us because he's been tempted in every way just as we are. So let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So we have this confidence again that we see in Hebrews that we can draw near. So he says, listen brothers, since we have that confidence, then he goes on in verse 22 to say, then let's do something with it. Let's draw near. And, and three things that he's going to talk to. He says, let us here, draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. So he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And again, this is a, this is a, 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 a referring to the cleansing that the priest would have a priest would have been sprinkled clean again he would have to be cleansed before he could enter into the most holy place he would have been cleansed by blood and then he would have gone through a mikveh a, a ceremonial washing a bath that would have then had him be cleansed so that he could move into the holy place but he's saying listen draw near. You've got a true heart with full assurance of your faith. You've been sprinkled clean. The blood of Christ is a superior cleansing. Each person who trusts in Jesus as a Savior have been washed clean so you can draw near to God. There can be no sin in God's presence, but because of the cleansing of Jesus, we're able to draw near to him. He says, let us draw near let us hold fast to the confession of our hope because he who promised is faithful. See, if you've been rescued by Jesus, if you've been set free, if you've, been, if you've experienced the joy of knowing that you have eternal life because of Jesus, it means that he's reached down and rescued you he's reached down, and he's grabbed you, and he's rescued you. And John 10 says he holds you. And it says, then the Father holds you. Now think about that. Think, think about what that does for you as you hold on to your confession. I believe with all my heart that I have eternity in heaven waiting for me. I have eternity with Jesus waiting for me. For me, because he rescued me, because the Father has me. And if I thought that wasn't good enough, the Holy Spirit seals this all. All right. So he's saying, Listen, hold fast to that confession because God is faithful. See, if my if my salvation depends on me, I've got to worry whether or not I'm faithful. But it depends on God. And God is faithful. And what he's promised he will do. So so let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to that confession. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. I love that. The author of Hebrews in, in King James, it says, let us consider how we could provoke one another to love and good deeds. And And, and I love that because I'm naturally pretty good at provoking people, all right? And, but I'm not always naturally good at provoking people to love and good works. And so <clears throat> to stop and consider what does it mean for us because of the confidence we have in who Jesus is in our lives, because of the confidence we have in our salvation, we're, we're figuring out ways to encourage one another and, and stirring one another up to love each other and to love that which God loves and to do the good works that he's given us to do. And he says, to do that, you can't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as he's talking to him, he's saying, listen, the way to stir each other up, the way to encourage each other to love and good deeds is to to get together with each other, right? It's It's not an individual thing. And a lot of times we talk about the fact that you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to go to heaven and that's true. But you're not saved into an island, you're saved into a family. And see we need to get together, not neglect meeting together. We need to get together so that we can encourage one another. So if you're out there all on your own, who, man, you're susceptible. See, that's why we come together here. It's why we come together in small groups. It's why we come together in in fellowships. And and it's why we do that so that we we can encourage each other to not neglect the things that we're stirring each other onto. So we see that as believers, we can live differently. The second thing we see is as believers, not living by faith brings judgment. Now, this is a harder part of the passage. This part of the passage and this part of scripture is a part that gets lots of conversation. And it gets lots of conversation because it makes us feel uncomfortable. And that's what I believe what the author of Hebrews intended for it to do. He didn't intend for it to bring fear into our lives. He intended for it to make us uncomfortable. So we'd ask our question, where are we in this? As I said, this is the interesting part of scripture because it's tough. And there's a lot of people who have who have talked about what it means, and so I'm gonna share with you after my study what I believe it means and what it means for us. The author goes on to say, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Okay, so this is pretty severe, right? If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of truth, There's no longer any sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, as we look at this, we could say, wow, that's really hard for whoever those adversaries are, okay? Well, in in Psalm 139, verse 20, it says, they speak of you with evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. See, the adversaries of God are the ones who misuse the name of God. I think of the commandment right it says shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain when I was a kid I was taught that means don't use the name of God as a swear word and, and that's part of it but there's more than that see misusing the name of God misusing the name of Jesus and he's writing to these to these people in 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 the Hebrews and and he's telling them listen don't be adversarial with God. If you choose to continue to sin, there's a judgment that's coming. And he goes on to explain again what that means. He says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so again, he's going from the lesser to the greater. The lesser is the law of Moses, the greater is the law of Christ. Or or what happens, the new covenant. The lesser is the old covenant, the the greater is the new covenant. And he says, anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy. And that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 through 7, where it talks about if, if someone within the community, the Jewish community, under the old covenant, was found to be worshiping something other than God, if they got involved in the worship of idols what was supposed to happen is they were supposed to on the on the uh, evidence of two or three witnesses they were supposed to be found guilty taken outside the camp and stoned and the witnesses were supposed to throw the first stones okay because listen god won't share his glory with another and so the author of hebrews knows that the Jewish believers understand and know this, he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? So see, this is why I say, I, I believe with all my heart, this is, this is talking to believers, because it's talking about a person who was sanctified, a person who was made holy, a person who had experienced salvation in his life. And it's saying, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who's done that, who has misused the name of Jesus? Is basically what it's saying, trampled underfoot the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant. See, we have confidence that we have a relationship with God that's been restored because of Jesus. We have the righteousness of of Jesus has been credited to my account so that I can draw near to God and he sees me just as if I've never sinned. And, And my sin has been credited to him and I have been set free. And because of that, I'm a Christian and I have named the name of Christ. And so if I continually, deliberately sin, if I, if I live the same exact lifestyle as I lived before I came to know Christ, if I deliberately choose things, listen, if there's things in Scripture that it says not to do, and if I deliberately keep doing these things, I can expect that there will be punishment that's deserved by me. And he goes on to say, you know, um, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, The Lord God will judge, next slide, please. The Lord Lord God will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've read that in Romans, I've been like, I'm really glad because I know people who need vengeance poured out on them. Right? You know? I mean, I'm not going to do it, but boy, is God going to get you. Okay? This passage says that if you've trusted in Christ, if you claimed his name, and you choose to sin deliberately, you can expect that vengeance of God. Now, I want to be really clear here. Okay, I want to be very, very clear. We are not talking about losing your salvation. Not at all. That's not what this is about. Okay, because Jesus has rescued you all right? And the Father has you, okay, you have confidence, and this is, listen, don't forget the first part of what we talked about. You have the confidence that you've been held. But listen, sometimes, sometimes we take advantage of the grace of God, don't we? I mean, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I know that God has to forgive me because of Jesus. All right? Any of you ever thought that? Subconsciously even? Okay. I don't know about you, but that's a problem I have. Now, this isn't talking about the author of Hebrews is not expecting us to live perfect lives. Although it's very, very important to understand that Jesus did not save you from sin so that you could continue to sin. Okay, Jesus saved you from sin so you could have the Holy Spirit and have the power of God within you to resist sin. It doesn't mean you're going to live a sinless life, but it does mean your desire is to live a sinless life. Your desire is to live a life that reflects the life of Christ in you. And so this passage talks about the fact that there will be judgment on those who willfully disobey so you know, you, you hear in the news and it it, be, it seems like it's becoming more and more common that people are saying, Yeah, I used to believe this, but I don't believe it anymore. And the answer we come up with is, well, that person probably was never saved. Well, maybe they are saved. And they've chosen, they've chosen to step into a place of willful disobedience. Vengeance belongs to the Lord in that. There will be a judgment in some way, somehow, when we step before the Lord, it's not like he just says, cool, all right? There, there's, there's an expectation on the part of God that we would live a holy life. In chapter 12, the author talks about this as discipline. Now again, this is not designed to put fear, oh, I'm going to lose my salvation, but it's designed to make you feel a little uncomfortable to nudge you a little bit and say, where am I in this? Am I misusing the name of Jesus at all? In my life, he's rescued me. He died for me. Am I, am I living for him fully? So the next thing we see, as believers, living by faith keeps us from shrinking back, all right? We got we, we, we to keep ourselves from being those people who willfully sin, all right? I don't want to be that. You? No. I'm going to answer for you. You don't want to be. Okay? So, as believers, recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is great. This is really why he wrote the letter, I believe. This is the, the section where he starts talking to him, and he says, I know you've experienced suffering. And I know that as you've experienced suffering, it could cause you to give up, but don't do it. Okay, he says, recall, when you were enlightened, when you first received the, the, the amazing message of Christ, you endured the struggle, you endured the sufferings, you endured being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. You were part of the people who were in prison. See, and, and at this point in time, when this, when this was written, if you were thrown into prison... Your chances of survival depended on people from the outside bringing you stuff, bringing you food and those kinds of things. And so what would happen, though, is the people who brought that to you would be identified with you. Okay, and so for a lot of these people, they had compassion on those in prison, which caused them to be partners with the ones who were being mistreated. And it says you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being associated with someone who called themselves a Christian, and because of that, your property got plundered? I think of, I don't know if you know the I.M.N. movement, okay? It's, it's in the Muslim world, and the Arabic letter for N is put on the houses of believers for Nazarene, and it's put on the houses of believers or the businesses of believers, and, and because of that, they don't do business or they plunder or they destroy the property. So just claiming the name of Jesus, Nazarene, causes you to be susceptible to this. And he's talking about these Hebrew believers that they accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession. I love that. Don't you? Are you aware that you have a better possession than what you have here? Do you realize this isn't the final stop? Right, and, and, and so when, when I stop to think about that, what do I have waiting? Do you ever imagine that? Do you ever imagine heaven, the new heaven, the new earth? Do you, do, you, do you ever stop to really consider what's waiting for you? I mean, we're walking into the cloud of uncertainty. But yet, beyond that cloud of uncertainty is the absolute certainty that I have of the possession I have that's an abiding one. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you realize, Jesus, if you've trusted him as your savior, he has gone to prepare a place for you in his father's house. What does that mean, what does that look like? Oh, I don't know, but I'm thinking it's pretty good. So the stuff that owns me here, if that gets destroyed, am I able to joyfully accept that because I know what's waiting for me? So he goes on and he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. You have a better possession waiting for you, so don't throw away your confidence because it has a great reward. See, you, you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God you may receive what is promised. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't don't be don't listen, don't willfully sin, don't throw away that confidence. You've got Jesus. He's superior to everything. How could you want more? You've got Jesus. Don't throw away that confidence. But you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. How many of you have seen the movie Overcomer? Okay, Overcover is a powerful movie. It's this girl, little girl who is comes from a hard place and and she wants to be a runner but she has asthma. And, and so she begins to run and the, and the coach is involved and 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 I won't spoil the whole movie but but at the end in the final race she she needs to have endurance and so Her dad records, because he had run that race already, he recorded exactly what she'd be experiencing along the way. So that as she came to those spots, and it was like she didn't think she could go on, he'd say, I know this is what you're feeling now. Push through it. And then she'd go around the corner and he'd say, I know this is now, it's going to go uphill. Come on, let's do this together. And, And throughout that whole thing, she had need of endurance. And into her headphones was being spoken the truth that allowed her to have that endurance. And so he's telling this group of people, listen, you need to have endurance so that you can receive what's promised for yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. See, there it is. Jesus is coming. There's a moment in time where the father's going to look over to Jesus and say, now... And he's coming, and he won't delay. And it's closer today than it was yesterday. And it's coming soon. And, it, and because it's coming, my righteous one shall live by faith. Listen, what, this is found four places in Scripture. Real quickly, it's found first in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And it's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Galatians three eleven, In Romans and Galatians, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> when this is talked about, it's talked about that in order to be righteous, you need to have faith. Okay, so, so you understand that this sentence can be understood two ways. It can be understand that, understood that in order to be righteous, you must have faith. But the author of Hebrews uses it the other way. He says, listen, if you've got this confidence, If you have this righteousness, if you understand that God sees you just as if you've never sinned, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to you, you are righteous, you are able to live as a righteous person. You are able to live the holy life that can only be lived by faith. So he's saying, listen, because of this confidence, don't throw it away, hold on to it, because Jesus is coming, and because you're righteous, you can live by faith. You can live by faith, but he says, listen, if you shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in you. Now, I don't know about you, but it's like, that's not a very, let's just wipe that out. But listen, that's the negative way to think about it. Think about it the positive way. Positively, in Psalm 147, 11, it says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him who hope in his steadfast love, "That that's it, has said, love. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Listen, positively, if you live by faith, if you hold on to the confidence, if you encourage one another in this, positively you experience the pleasure of God. Negatively, the author of Hebrews wants you to understand if you don't do that, you don't experience the pleasure of God, that he has no pleasure in you. In chapter 11, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So living by faith allows us to live in the pleasure of God. Choosing to shrink back allows us to lose his pleasure. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back. I love this verse. I love this verse. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're of those who have faith and preserve our souls. See, that's who we are. And I love that these are our verses for the year because, listen, it's we. It's who we are. If I'm going to to live by faith, I need you to live by faith. And if you're going to live by faith, you need me to live by faith. We need each other to live by faith. Otherwise, we're going to shrink back. See, we are not of those who shrink back. Could I get a witness? Okay, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. No, 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 no. We're those who have faith. That's who we are. Right? See, so we need to be encouraging each other. We need endurance, we need that. We need that spoken into our lives. And listen, if we're going to walk by faith, and I know it's still nebulous, what does that mean? It's going to get unpacked for us over these next few weeks to really try to wrestle through what does it mean to live by faith and to take those steps that are courageous and those steps that reflect the light of Christ in our lives. So what? Consider the confidence you have in Christ could I ask you to really do that this week? Really consider the confidence you have in Christ. And listen, if you don't have confidence in Christ, if there's ways that you're like, ah, I guess Jesus is my Savior, or, you know, do you have confidence in Christ? And how does it cause you to live even more by faith? And then finally, how will you specifically choose to live by faith? And could I ask you, how will you encourage others? Let's make sure we're doing that this year in even greater ways than we have before. God, help us with this, will you please? Thank you for this passage in Hebrews. Parts of it are really tough, Lord. They're, they're really hard for us, and I know they make me feel uncomfortable. Search is God. Are there places where we're willfully sinning? Are there places where we're misusing your name? Help us celebrate the ways that we're encouraging each other. Help us celebrate the ways that we are are helping each other with the endurance that we need so that we don't throw off our confidence. You're an amazing God. We love you. It's our desire to serve you. So help us, God, I pray in your name. Amen. May I please ask you to stand and hear God's good word for you? It comes from the end of Hebrews. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Oh, God bless you. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. God bless.